Hello and welcome to the SIRS Group podcast. I am Barbara. And I'm JC. And today we are tackling a brand new biotoxin. Never before seen, before 2019, I guess, um, COVID. <laughs> Is that exciting enough? <laughs> yeah, I told Barbara, Barbara was asking what I wanted to title this episode, and I said something clickbaity like, long haul COVID might have SIRS, something like that. And so now we're just uh, taking that idea and making it as extreme as possible. <laughs> yeah, especially since I don't think YouTube bans people anymore for talking about the vid or the vax, but I don't know. I guess we're t we'll test that out today. Yeah, uh, if if you guys suddenly stop hearing from us, <laughs> YouTube got us. Yeah, exactly. Go check us out on other podcast platforms, please. Thank you. Right. Um now, I mean, I think we both have gotten the vid. That's what I call it. COVID, though, at some point, right? You and I. Yes. So for me personally, I had a bunch of like interactions with the vaccine um, in 2021. Um, but I myself did not actually get COVID until the beginning of 2022. Mm. Yeah, me too, actually. I mean, not the not the vaccine part, but the um, but I didn't get COVID until January 2022. That was when that was when it was really going around. And it was kind of like that. Wouldn't they call like Omicron or like some <laughs> like stupid name? But it was like Sounds like a Power Rangers bad guy. <laughs> it really did. Um, but it was like spreading faster and easier, but it was like a little bit weaker, if I remember correctly. Mm. But th there was something about it where it was a little bit less serious, but it was very contagious. So I think that's where kind of like if you had held out that long, then you were finally gotten at that point. And I think both mm. of us were were in that cohort. But but yeah, so I got COVID and I remember my experience with it was a very, very terrible flu for like three days. I did not want to leave the bed. And then um and then about a week after the onset of symptoms, I started to feel better, but then I completely lost my sense of smell and taste. And thankfully it came back in about a month, but it was weird. Like, like bacon tasted like crunchy water and like I could pick up my dog's poop and like not even know poop was in my hand in a baggie. Like all of that was very weird, but, but that so was there were mine. pros and cons. Pros and cons. Exactly. I was, I took what I could get out of that situation, but thankfully recovered on my own from what I, I didn't take any special medication for, for it at all. I didn't do any kind of protocol. Uh, I'm not saying that was necessarily a good idea. Sometimes I think maybe I should have done something or could still do something. But for me personally, I seemed to recover without any extra effort. Yeah. And before we get into like my experience with COVID and spike protein and all the things we should say, we are not medical professionals. We read the SIRS textbook. We have a community of people who are healing from SIRS. We ourselves have uh, done some healing from SIRS. And that's it. We're not medical professionals. This is not medical advice. Definitely see an appropriate provider if you're looking for some because we are not it. Yep. There you go. But yeah, tell us about your experience. Yeah. So my first uh, real interaction with COVID. And when I talk about COVID, I'm going to talk about it in a way that would produce spike protein. So actually backing up a little bit, 
the reason we're talking about this is because Surviving Mold came out with a paper, it was actually last year, saying that they had kind of identified long-haul COVID symptoms and vax injuries as a biotoxin. It acts like any other SERS biotoxin, and it responds to treatment the same way other biotoxins do. So it's very likely that this is a biotoxin. They haven't identified the genetic markers for it yet. Um, there are other genetic markers already related to vaccines like the Gardasil and the Lyme vaccine. Um, so it wouldn't be like, it's not too wildly out of the realm of possibility that I, they had a suspicion and that's why they did the research to back it up. But for me personally, what happened was my first interaction with the vaccine was when my partner was vaccinated um, and I was staying with them. I was living with them at the time. And then that was when I had my first autoimmune symptom. For me, it was uveitis, and that would have been June of 2021. So after that, I was in a moldy home. I uh, did some pretty extreme leaning out for a fitness competition that I did. And then uh, family members in my home started to get vaccinated. So I was living with my family at the time. All of them were vaccinated, and then my autoimmune symptoms just started to explode. <laughs> I feel like yeah. explode is the right word. Yeah, I had it got really fashion. bad really fast. Like yeah, like where where I would say my experience with SIRS has been this very very long, gradual, slowly getting worse over time over the years. Yours was like you were fine one month, and then you were very much not the next. It was it was very sudden. It was very sudden. So all of those symptoms started cascading. Um, and then, you know, I had my autoimmune diagnosis. And then I think it was six months later after I first started to really crash, I finally learned about SIRS and I started the SIRS protocol. And then about six months into the SIRS protocols when I finally got COVID and I had my first autoimmune flare, like those same symptoms coming back that I hadn't had since I had started the SIRS treatment. So it seems that my autoimmune condition, which I believe was triggered by SIRS, is specifically triggered when I have interactions with COVID, like whether it be the actual virus itself or vaccinations. That led me to learning about spike protein and spike protein damage protocols. So not to get too much in the weeds here, and I don't, I definitely don't want to, um, I'm not going to tell you what I did personally. I did share my protocol in the group itself, um, but I, all I did was I followed the FLCCC Alliance protocols. Um, they're pretty well known. Uh, a lot of people have done the protocols. Like I'll randomly bring this up in conversation and people will be like, oh yeah, I did that protocol. Like people who have nothing to do with SIRS, they have no awareness of SIRS. They just already know about this protocol. Um, so I just, I followed that. And then since I did that, I haven't had an autoimmune flare since. So it really seems like for me, I know because of my genetic haplotypes that mold is a big part of my SIRS diagnosis. It's a biotoxin that I need to be aware of for me, but also COVID in whatever capacity also seems to be one of my like hallmark biotoxins I need to be aware of and avoid. Yeah. And it's really great to have identified that because, I mean, you would continue to be having flares right now if you hadn't. And the fact that you saw such a 
specific improvement, the fact that you don't get flares now after you've done it versus before. I mean, that was kind of a repeated, oh God, here comes another one. Like I remember that like that roller coaster you were on before you did the spike protein protocol. And then that finally, finally seemed to be the key to getting it to stop. So really yeah. important. So I think most people, when we're talking about SIRS, they're really familiar with the MOLDAC aspect or Actinos. But the harder, to me, the harder to diagnose and treat SIRS types are the ones that have co-infections. Like the co-infection is causing your SIRS. So Lyme has historically been that where you have to treat the Lyme in, or in conjunction with the SIRS protocol in order to heal from SIRS. Like you have to get the Lyme out so that you're getting the biotoxin out. We right. know the first step of the protocol is to remove yourself from exposure. So for me, it seemed like the spike protein was my exposure and I had to get that removed from my body in order to fully heal. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild when it, when it's like, am I the problem? Is it me? Is it the endotoxin yeah. in me? Is it the, you know, and some people are finding out this is unrelated and a different episode, but dental work could also be an issue and that's literally in you. And then of course, some people decide, you know, to get their breast implants out because that's causing a problem. So when it's inside you, it's the same as if you are living in a moldy home and you have to remove yourself from that exposure. And uh, it gets tricky when it's inside your body. There's no question about that. But I, I, thankfully, I think the the spike protein protocol is relatively straightforward. I mean, as far as like all of the inside you biotoxins, um, it might be my favorite one as far as, <laughs> as far as which one might be easiest to deal with. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So just for context, if anyone isn't familiar, Lyme is historically very difficult to diagnose. It's so Lyme, like, I don't fully understand it, but I just imagine it as like this little creature in your body that hibernates for two weeks and then it's active for two weeks. And for some people, it's very dormant and you have to like drag it out using herbal supplements to get it to flag on blood work to prove that you have Lyme so that you can then do a Lyme treatment protocol. And then there's different kinds of Lyme and different kinds of Lyme respond to different things differently. And it has to be like active at the time that you're treating. There's just so many caveats to it. And the FLCCC Alliance protocol is just like, it gives you options for one. So depending on what you have access to, you can kind of gear the protocol to that. Definitely, if you can work with your service provider or a provider to complete the protocol, that's probably the most ideal way to do it. And I wish I had had that access, but I was able to do it on my own. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great. It's and straightforward enough that I can do it on my own, you guys. So hey, you could. Hey, hey. now. <laughs> no, I, it's. It it is, and and we we will link to that website in the show notes, so you guys can can dig dig around for that and and see if you want to figure it out. But you know, like JC said, it is really great if you can get your doctor on board, and even general practitioners might be on board with leading you through it. It doesn't have to be a SIRS doctor necessarily. Now, of course, you still need to treat your SIRS if you have SIRS. That's a separate thing. But uh, I'm just saying, if you want to get started on something. Um, and and you're waiting to see your SIRS practitioner, you can ask the doctors in your life currently if they want to lead you through that protocol. Yeah. So, uh, and I have noticed that uh, within the SIRS group, uh, the members have actually also enjoyed the same 
kind of relief from doing the protocol. So it's kind of cool to see that it does work for for different people dealing with different things and different environments. So, um, and it's a great way to plug our group. So if you are not a member yet of the SERS group, that's the kind of um, community support and resources that we get to pull together over there. So join us over at thesersgroup.com. We'll see you there.